Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. If you want to get someone's attention, just tell them a great story. If you want to inspire someone, share your success story. And that's what this show is all about. I believe that successful women think differently, and what might be an obstacle for some is an opportunity for others. And by the end of this podcast, I hope you'll agree. Hold on to your hats, because today's story is about two exceptional women who just happen to be sisters, and they are the oldest women we have ever profiled so far on this show. And you know what? Age means nothing to Sheila and Marilyn Brass. As the decades of their lives have unfolded, they have been queens of self-discovery, fearless in their enthusiasm for learning new things and constantly reinventing themselves. They are the Brass Sisters, also known as the Food Flirts, on their PBS series. And you may recently have seen them on Rachel Ray. Their cookbooks are classics, and you might just have one on your shelf. I know I do. But this is a story that goes beyond the baking and the stirring. It is the story of two sisters, their unbreakable bond, and their drive to make their dreams come true no matter how long it takes. Marilyn and Sheila, welcome to the show. We're Thank thrilled you. to be here. How did you like your introduction? Oh, I it was love- fabulous. <laughs> I want to have it maybe in a quilt or something like that. Well, you know what? I think I'd like it on a plaque. It was long. <laughs> well, it would be a big, a platter. You could have it on a platter. Can you tell me your family story and what your childhood was like? I must warn you. I barely get a word in edgewise. We start and finish each other's sentences. That's okay. And our listeners will be able to figure that out. Enter Marilyn. You're going to start talking first? Well, first of all, I want to get something straight. I am the younger sister. I am four years and eight months younger than Sheila. I am 76. Sheila is going to be 81 on April 17th. We lost our parents at a very early age, We are very fortunate because we were able to bring each other up. Also, we have wonderful memories because our parents gave us a fabulous, fabulous legacy of their memories and their advice and their love. That is what has sustained us. I also have to tell you that we came from a family of drama queens, and I don't think that we've disappointed them. They love to talk. They love to tell stories. Our mother has been gone 55 years, a long time, but we have the most wonderful memories of baking and cooking with her. As soon as we could reach the kitchen table, she would have us bake holly, you know, the holly bread with her. We would make jam tarts. We had our own little baking pans and pie pans and rolling pins. And what she did was to communicate her theory, her mantra, if you will, that going into a kitchen and baking or cooking something for someone you love was a wonderful thing. And we have a corollary to that. It's eating something that's been baked or cooked by someone who loves you is just as wonderful. Sheila, let me ask you, what (laughs) was life like in your house? I opened the door to your place in Winthrop. What was it like? Food. (laughs) And lots of it. Lots of it and love. 
and people. Um, <laughs> well, why would they go anywhere else when they can come to Auntie Dot's house? Yeah, my have mother a Dorothy. fabulous meal. And we lived in a three-decker. We were on the second floor, so my mother's kitchen was kitchen central during the summer because that's when all the relatives would come. And because it was a three-decker, the third floor was rented for the summer. Everybody in winter did a summer rental. Who were your role models when you were growing up? Role models. I really think my mother and my maternal grandmother and even my paternal grandmother she actually was a terrible cook, but she could bake something that was so outstanding. I've always said that I thought that Booby Brass, Edith Brass, made the best tegla, which are these pieces of dough. It's, it's a sweet. And they have little pieces of candied fruit and walnuts mixed in with the little pieces of dough. And then she would boil them in honey. And I had this feeling that, do you remember what I used to say about Jewish saints? That if there were ever a Jewish saint for <laughs> dentists, it would be my grandmother. <laughs> because be she sent so many people there? The, yes. Was there a golden rule then? Was there something about the American dream that these ancestors of yours taught you? Absolutely. Yes. What was it? Well, never give up. Always look for the bright side and just enjoy your family, your friends. You both grew up at a time when most women could be a homemaker. They would get married. Their idea would be, I'm going to get married. I'm going to have children. I'm going to take care of my home. I'll be a secretary. I'll be a nurse. I could be a teacher. But it seems to me you both decided you wanted to sort of break out of that mold and you've reinvented yourselves so many times. Let's start with you, Marilyn. I ended up getting accepted in my junior year of high school to Northeastern University. We have a tradition in our family. We work our way through college. And if we can get into Northeastern, we go there. And I have to tell you, it was the best thing in the world because I was smart enough at the age of 17 or 18 to know that I was going to be competing with men, not just women in the workplace. And that as far as I was concerned, going to a school where there were 10 young men for every young woman was a very good thing to get you right into the groove of competition. Did you know that you were kind of a trailblazer? I mean, there weren't a lot of women there. What was it like well, for you? One of the things is that I was bullied growing up. As far as I could tell, I just got to the point for survival that I just didn't care what people thought of me, as long as I respected myself. I have a story I tell. They had one school bus for everyone in Winthrop. And in the 1950s, when I was in junior high, I couldn't get a seat on the school bus because they would save seats. I didn't care. I felt I paid my fare. I wanted to sit. So I would try to sit down on a seat. And the girls would push me off until finally one girl held up a mirror, and I was probably 13 or 14, and said, look in the mirror and see how ugly you are. And that's what happens sometimes to teenagers. It's a very delicate time in your life. And my attitude was, so what? I am what I am. I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to do the things that I love. 
and that's all that matters. It doesn't matter that my clothes came from uh, hand-me-downs or my mother would get them at a consignment shop. It just didn't matter. You know, there are two things I want to say. The first is it makes me so angry when women are mean to other women because we need to hold each other up. But second of all, I'm wondering in terms of your friendship as two sisters, you being the younger, would you come home and tell Sheila these yes, things? Yes. Sheila, what was that like for you to have a little sister? I was, oh, I loved her so much. I, and I couldn't love her more to this day. But I was brokenhearted, you know, that they treated her that way. And I was young, too. But I still have the feeling that she was too good to be left by the wayside. I knew she was going to do fabulous things. She amazed me. Sometimes you just need one person to believe in you, right? I agree with you. Your father was diagnosed with colon cancer, and you each stopped what you were doing at that yes. point in we your lives. We had two very good jobs, Candy. Tell me about that. You were um, the director of marketing at an international Still. marketing firm. Yeah. And I was the, the head of public communications and community affairs at the C.S. Draper Lab. What's My it like taking care of a, a parent who's dying? Well, I have to say, he was wonderful. I think, honestly, because we made the decision to spend the time with him, that we had two wonderful years. I'll tell you how he died, and there's a smile on my face. He was in the hospital only two weeks before he died. He always said he couldn't eat ice cream. Well, he was eating chocolate ice cream, and he was watching the Red Sox, and the Red Sox won, and then he died. <laughs> so I and that, my friends, is a Boston, Boston story. story. <laughs> and it's a true one. But we, Sheila, tell how we started the communications business and the antiques business. When you, you want to get your apartment Oh, painted. I was going to get my apartment painted. We had friends that came over. We decided after the apartment was painted that we had stuff we didn't know if we really needed. So we decided to have an apartment sale. An indoor yard sale. Yes. And everything was going to be beautiful. We had some old silver plate, and we polished it, and we put little um, ribbons on it. And we had a table we wanted to sell, so we put plates on it, nice plates, nothing cracked or scratched or anything. And we set the table as if we were going to serve a meal. And then we reinvented macaroni salad, and we made a big bowl of it because it was good and it was cheap, and we served it. And then we'd bake a cake, and we'd have coffee and cake for anyone who came into the sale. We found that the same people kept coming back. They were dealers, antique dealers. They felt that if they could get a bunch of things from us, then they didn't have to go to all the yard sales, the shops and everything. And they could get something good to eat at the same time. Oh, right. Absolutely. And we, we found that rather than holding on to something for 20 years, you know, going from show to show, that if we sold things at 20 to 40% off retail, we'd sell a lot of things. We sold to dealers and collectors, and we bought things we knew they'd buy. He got my father involved in the business because his father had had a junk shop in Chelsea. So anyway, my father was used to working in the junk shop as a young boy, 
And so we'd get him, you know, involved in the antiques business. And then call forwarding came in. And so we'd forward our phone from Cambridge to the phone of Winthrop. And so he'd take the call and he'd say, girls, I just sold a pair of andirons. <laughs> and he I loved it. I think that it really kept him going. They say that adversity is an opportunity to see yourself rise and to achieve. What have roadblocks meant for the two of you in your lives? It means get up and get going. You know, we, we just don't sit around and say, oh, what are we going to do? Our father left us $20,000 in 1977. Now, in 1977, for a man who worked for a charity, that was a lot of money. What made you decide to write cookbooks? Well, I was 60 years old, and I don't have a job. Who's going to hire me? Well, I've never used that as a crutch, because I feel that if you want something, really want it hard enough, you're going to find a way. It's like finding out the world's going to end in a flood in 10 minutes. So that means you've got 10 minutes to learn how to swim. And so what I did was I decided the next week that I was going to write a cookbook. And I got an agent, someone that we had worked with at WGBH. I started writing a proposal, and it was called Heirloom Baking with the Brass Sisters. And we had collected, at that time, over 50 handwritten cookbooks that we got at yard sales. It's fascinating. Some of those handwritten recipe books were in three different handwritings because they went through three generations. And you could learn a lot about the people who wrote them. You know, that has really been, I think, what's been so unique about this chapter in your lives is that you understand that when you discover a recipe, whether it's at a tag sale or someone you meet says, oh, you need to know about my, my Nana's sauce, right? There's a story behind it. Absolutely. There is a story behind every recipe. And there's a recipe behind every story. And what we like to say is, at the holidays, do a gentle interrogation of your relatives and friends. And your elders. And don't lose those recipes. And don't lose the stories. You know, they say that our elders are like living libraries. They are. And they need so much to have their stories be remembered yes. to pass them along. So those are very good words to the wise. Well, one of the things I wanted to say is that I love the title of your podcast. If you look back through the years, and I'm talking hundreds of thousands, millions of years, you realize that we're all storytellers. Everyone has a story. And that that's how history was preserved, because there was always someone in a tribe or a group who was the storyteller. And then he or she would pass that skill on and the information to the next generation. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. What do you do when your home computer experiences some kind of a breakdown? Maybe you're working from home, you're on a deadline, you're freaking out, right? Not good. Hey, I've been there before, but not anymore. Here's what I do. I call tech help Boston, 781-484-1265. They are the best. They'll come to your home or help you remotely. Here's the number, 781-484-1265. Tell them Candy O sent you.
Thank you so much for listening to the story behind her success. Hi, this is Candy O'Terry, and in the spotlight, TV hosts and cookbook authors extraordinaire, Marilyn and Sheila Brass. They're known as the Brass Sisters, and they are the stars of the PBS series, The Food Flirts. We were just talking about the art of storytelling and the fact that these recipes that you find... You know, it's almost like when I talk to singers and they say finding a great song is like finding a jewel at the bottom of the ocean. When you find a great recipe, it must feel just like that. It does. We've had recipes fall out of cookbooks, and it's fabulous. Remember the love letter? Oh, one book had a love letter in it, but it was very tame and tame because it was probably written in the 30s. It just was a wonderful thing that we learned. Life opened up for us through these people, too. What is it about preparing food out of love, like your mom taught you, right? And sitting at a table with someone and serving it, and that whole family experience. What's that like in terms of the cookbook experience and what you've put together? Well, I have to say something. We were fortunate to have the joy of appreciating that. A lot of people come into the house, you know, they've been at school or at work or something, and it's not important to them what's for supper and they grab something. But we always sat down at the table to eat. And my father told stories, and they were Horatio Alger stories about people who were poor The father dies, and the children are angry because there's no money left to give them. And, you know, they worry, what did he leave? And then it turns out that one of the children who was good to the father said, the only thing I want from my father's estate is the rocking chair, because he used to sit in there. He takes the rocking chair back to his home, and his little boy climbs up on the rocking chair And the rocking chair breaks. And in the little crevices and everything, joints of the rocking chair are diamonds. And we've never forgotten it. We have been wiped out financially twice. Once when my mother was ill for two years, terminally ill, and then passed away. And then when we tried to save the house in Winthrop. Sure. I remember Sheila going job hunting, and she had $200 to her name. When we were fixing the house, we fed ourselves on $5 each a week. A lot of omelets, and for some reason, rock Cornish hen was cheap. (laughs) And a lot of macaroni salad, and then it became very popular. We survived. I just think now we're coming sort of to the integration of our lives. I just think that what makes me happy is to work. I'll never retire. But I also feel that I want to be of use and I want to help people. I think it's this constant reinventing. I think of the quote from Willem de Kooning, the artist. He said, I have to change in order to be myself. And the truth is we don't really know who we really are until we get older. That's where integration comes in, where you integrate all the pieces of your life and you become whole. Give us the names of the cookbooks. Okay. The first one was heirloom baking with the Brass Sisters. The second one was heirloom cooking with the Brass Sisters. And then they compiled the two of those into From Grandma's Kitchen. 
The latest one is Baking with the Brass Sisters. Tell us about the Rachel Ray show you were just on, and it must have been so exciting. It How was. do you like seeing yourselves on television, by the way? Eh, look at the double oh, chin. chin. <laughs> you know, my teeth are uneven on the bottom. You know what the truth is? I don't care how different I look. They, they say the camera puts 10 pounds on you. Don't believe them. It puts on 25. <laughs> so I've got wrinkles. I earned them. You know what the thing is? We don't call them wrinkles in our family. We call them pleats. 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 This from the Brass Sisters today yes. on the story behind her success. Rachel Ray's a sweetheart. Yes. Now, I did want to tell you, Rachel Ray was absolutely lovely to us. She had us come to New York at the end of October, and we did three segments in one day, nine and a half hours shooting. Then we went to her studio, and everyone was lovely to us. The concept of the segment was that we would flirt our way into kitchens in New York to learn about how to make three trendy desserts. And one of them was a crazy shake. And I thought fast enough, I brought a folding ruler with me. So Sheila won the contest. Hers was 11 and a half inches tall. And then we made donuts in a car wash and sold them. We met this really, really wonderful Spanish chef. Handsome, too. Ha handsome. I had to peel him off, Sheila. <laughs> um, a vice versa? No, no. You were, you know. I was a lady. We learned how to make churro s'mores. And I'll give everybody a little clue that even when you are in a top restaurant making s'mores, you have to use Hershey's chocolate. The Belrona and the Cabo. Don't as much work. as we love them. But anyway, it was wonderful. They were gracious to us. I, I admired Rachel's jacket. And then as we were leaving, one of the producers said, what size jackets do you girls wear? And I told her. Three weeks later, we got the same jackets that Rachel had been wearing in the mail. That's wonderful. And we took a picture of us. And, and did you send it back to her? To, yeah. I bet she loved it. Where did the idea for the food flirts come from? And I love that title on PBS. Everybody has to watch it. We were doing a one-hour holiday special for the Cooking Channel a few years ago. And we met with Bruce Seidel, and he was then the vice president for programming and development at the Food Network and the Cooking Channel. We all went to lunch at Morimoto's. We had never had sushi before. So Sheila and I played it safe, and we ordered black cod, and, and it was delicious. Everybody else ordered sushi. Well, Bruce said to us, have you ladies ever tried sushi? And I said, to be quite honest, we never have. And he said, how would you like to do it? I said, you know, this is Morimoto's restaurant. You can't get fresher, better, safer sushi anywhere else. So I said, sure. I'd like to try it. How about you, Sheila? I said, fine, I'm going to have the salmon of the lux. So anyway, we each tried it, and it was actually quite good. So he got an idea. Now, Bruce was this quiet little guy sitting in a chair. and Well, we did the, the special. Then we didn't get picked up. That was okay. We moved on. We didn't like it anyway. Yeah, it wasn't quite our. It wasn't what we It was wanted. good, but it wasn't great. I see something about Bruce that he's left the Food Network and the Cooking Channel a couple of years later. 
And I said, well, I'm going to, you know, congratulate him on his new job. And I wrote to him. He wrote back. And then he called us. And he said, you know, I still like the concept of fish out of water. You know, a bucket list of things you haven't tried, even though you live and work with food. What else haven't you tried? I said, I've never had ramen. He said, you know, we're going to do a series. I said, well, we're writing a cookbook, and we just can't do a series. He said, I'll wait. Well, we all started working together a couple of years ago, and we all started raising funding, which is hard to do. And our pal, yes. who is sitting quietly here, Denise Swidey is our supervising and culinary producer. And we all got together, and we had a very lean crew. We had a lot of fun, and we worked long hours the reason the series is such a joy is that Bruce has blossomed. He is not the same person he was when we met him at Morimoto's. He is just another He's a fun guy. He's a fun guy. You know, when I hear you tell that story, I also think about the power of connections. And I think about how you decided to reach out to him and congratulate oh, him on yes. his new job, we open up the anything. conversation. You yeah, weren't asking for anything. You were simply offering congratulations. And good things started to happen. The next few questions that I'm going to ask you as our time together starts to come to an end, we ask of all the people who sit where you are today. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? Well, we talk, number one, and we Give ourselves, give, give each I other. I say something like, I come up with an idea. Yeah. And then Sheila will say, I want to hear it. And then she says, I, I come I, up with an idea. That's what we do. We just talk it all out and over. Now, you know, I also think that if we have achieved any success, I think a lot of it has to do with fantasy. Fantasy does not mean that you live in a fantasy world where you lose touch with reality. You have to have a fantasy of who you want to be. So yes. we're going to revisit our old friend, reinvention. You have to picture yourself. Am I right? Absolutely. As what you want to be. Now, I have a little story, very brief, about Denise Swidey. We were doing the WGBH Food and Wine Festival, and we hadn't gotten the series off the ground yet. I introduced her to everyone in the audience as a supervising producer. The truth is, we knew she was going to be a supervising producer, but we didn't know we were going to have the series. And afterwards, Denise said to us, you know, I can't believe it. You introduced me as a supervising producer, and now I'm a supervising producer. Well, you know, you, you have to have a dream. Don't let someone else's opinion become your reality. And I'm banging the table. Reinvention. Listening to the little voice inside your head. What is the best piece of advice you have ever received? Don't lose yourself. Yeah, that was his favorite that phrase. That was my, my father's favorite phrase. Don't lose yourself. Favorite phrase of my mother's, and it cuts across all motherhood. Go into a situation with a smile on your face. You can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. And do you know that when you smile at someone and you create that connection, not only do we burn calories, but we release dopamine inside That's our brains. Right. And it creates that beautiful connection with the person that you're smiling at. 
earlier, Candy, you said something about what is it like to sit down at a table. Well, the truth is, when you think of the word companion, it means with bread. And a companion is someone you break bread with. Give me a table and two chairs. More if I can get them. But when two people sit down, I don't care if the table doesn't have four legs. We'll prop it up. You create a situation where you can converse, you can eat, you can share. You can tell a story to each other. And I think that is so, so important, the stories. Success means different things to different people at different times in their lives. As you look in the rearview mirror at these long, fruitful lives that you have had, many chapters, what does success right now on this day mean to you? Being with my sister, having good health. Wonderful friends. Yeah. It means that I can be an overnight success at the age of 76, and Sheila can be one at 80 to be co-executive producers of our own series. It means that even though I never married and never had children, I can do more for other people's children. That's my role. So all the bitterness that I may have experienced when I was younger that, you know, I never had my own children. The truth is you don't have to have your own children to be a mother. We are other mothers. And when they open up a cookbook by the Brass Sisters and They'll they discover the stories. these stories, what do you want people to feel? I want them to feel that we're their friends, that we love them. We want them to communicate with us the way we're communicating with them. You know, Candy, it wasn't that long ago when we were two young women walking on the sands of Winter Beach. And we, we would go out at twilight and walk on the sand and say, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to bake? What do you want to cook? What do you want out of life? I want to be a writer. I wanted to be a fashion designer. And, and you was. were. Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. This is a new series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. Connect with Candy anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?